All right, so a lot of things have changed. Hello, everybody. I'm Natalie. I know I released a snippet. Welcome back to the podcast. If you like it, subscribe, follow, write a review, do all those things. And I'm sorry, hold this last week against me. So I released a snippet saying that we had two coming out, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. We only released one on Thursday. We were pushing everything back because we had all this other post-production stuff we wanted to do. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you until now. And now we have Marty Rainey. And he is so much fun. So he is the guy that we met in the airport on the way to Alaska. It turns out he's a reality TV star. Or he's a reality TV show star in Alaska. He's on all the Alaska shows. The Randy Family, like the Homestead Rescue, the Randy Ranch, Ultimate Survival Alaska. He was on that Geo. Now he's on Discovery Plus. He and his family. So he and his son were in the airport. And I go into everything about how we met him. In the beginning of this podcast. Um, so how this happened was we met him on, what, that was a Sunday. Then we went over to his house on Monday. He set us up with shit to do on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then on Friday, we went back and met him in a diner on our way to the airport. And let me tell you, what's that term? Um, wrung out something and hung up wet or whatever that term is. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, drenched and wrung out and hung up wet. That's how I felt by the time we interviewed this man. We had been go, 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 go all week. Total freedom overload. And I was very, very, very exhausted and tired and also full of bliss. And all of our friends are waiting in the other room. So we talked to Marty. He gets super serious in this, just like the last guy, Bernie. They are these crazy characters, and they get super serious. He was all nervous. It was adorable. Um, but you can check him out on Discovery+. Plus. He talks about how he would, like, how his son was born and how their show. So if you watch the show, their, their house, their homestead, burns down. This is a real story. And in his upcoming release of his new series, they go into all of it and they build a new house and all this stuff. And so he got to take us to his new house they just built. This is probably a whole bunch of spoiler alerts, but he told me I can say anything. So that's really what happened. So when we met him, he took us to his to his homestead and there and he was like, this house burned down. So we built this other one. Let me tell you, to get up to his home, you have to take a snow machine or a snow cat like um, Cars couldn't get up there. There was a glacier they had to carve through with a freaking um, chainsaw. And it was like, it was completely awesome. I mean, I loved it. He had all, there were five of us total sitting (laughs) and his dog following us, sitting us, sitting in this little snow machine. And then we go up to his house. We meet his beautiful wife, Molly. She's in here too at the end. And we like FaceTime my mom for an hour and he like plays with the guitar and stuff. It was just like you couldn't ask for it any better. And from his house, you could see the ocean and a volcano and it's 100% off the grid and beautiful up on top of a mountain in Homestead. It was absolutely gorgeous. And he's such a great guy. We've been talking a lot since then to orchestrate all of this and whatnot. If you haven't looked him up, look up um, the Rainey family for Homestead Rescue on Disney+. Plus. Here it is from a diner. On my cell phone in, let's see, where were we? In Wasilla, Alaska. Enjoy, babes. And as always, if you like the podcast, like, subscribe, re- uh, leave a review, and uh, hit me up on them DMs or at Natalie at WKRQ.com if you have something that you, somebody you think should be on the podcast as well. And let's freaking make it happen. Until then, my new bestie, this is Marty Rainey. Marty Rainey. Did we ever tell you the story of how, why we talked to you, my brother and I, on Sunday, no. when we were in the airport? I didn't know there was a story behind that. Here's the deal. So Jacob and I, Jacob's my brother, he's the best kid in the world. We were on um, airplane going from, that's good, going from Cincinnati to, uh, you're a genius, going from Cincinnati to Denver, and we saw you, and Jacob just, because our, we could see you from where we were. You were in first class, and we were in, like, the second row, not in first class. And Jake just leans over. Hold on, let's stop right there. You could have been in first class. You guys need to just work a little harder. Ah, thank you. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Listen, I wouldn't be riding in first class. Someone else is paying for that. Oh, well, nice. Well, then, you got it right. You get to ride in first (laughs) class. You don't have to fucking pay for it. That's the best. No, I'm just saying. So let's, let's just get full disclosure all the way through. So okay. if you saw me in first class, somebody else was paying for it. <laughs> well, we had a really great shot of like we could you, we could see you, right? Oh really? And so my brother just leans over and he goes, "What do you think that guy does?" And I was like, oh, "Let me 
me think about it. Because we just tell your energy. You had like a character energy. This is like from behind. And I was like, he reminds me of one of those guys in Telluride who would come through and they do some off the wall crazy job that you would never expect. And they're like super rad. You know, I was like, this is like a maverick of sorts. I've like met men like this and their story is always mind blowing. I was like, it's always crazy. And, and then you met me and realized how far <laughs> off. I'll stop. How far off center stop. that guess was. Well, so we like, so then we got off the plane and we were like, oh, we're probably not gonna see this person again, you know, whatever. And then you were on our flight to Anchorage. And we were like, oh my God. We were on two flights? I didn't know that. Yeah, from Cincinnati, from Cincinnati to Denver is where we saw you. Okay. And then, oh, sorry, guys. Uh, oh, it's good. And then, um, and then so we saw you, so then we were loading to get on to, to come to Anchorage. The man standing in front of us leaned over and said, um, my wife is a big fan of the show. And I just looked at him and I was like, dude, he's on TV. I'm gonna go just fucking, I'm gonna go talk to him. So then I start talking to you. You are in a conversation with him. Hold on, do you have an edit button on your on your? It's fine, we can do whatever we want. So. <laughs> just checking. So you, you were talking to somebody else and then I interrupted and I just assumed that my mom knew who you were. She's obsessed with every Alaska show mm. ever. And full disclosure here, I lied and said, my mom is a big fan. I had no idea that she actually was. I just said that because I wanted to get your attention. And then we started talking and then the rest is history. And then I sent the picture, we took a picture and I sent it to my mom and she was like, oh, Marty Rainey, I know him. And then she goes on and on and on and on and on about it. And then you gave me your card and then I actually followed through on it. And it has been an amazing week in Alaska. Oh my God, I'm like shaking, I'm so exhausted, but so just full of actual bliss. And so much of it is because we met you and it just had, just had so much fun. Our experience in China and whatnot. Anyway, so that's how we know you, Marty Rainey. If, if, I, if we didn't know each other and I would just ask you, what do you do? <laughs> Well, when people ask me what I do mm -hmm. that don't know who I am, mm -hmm. I, 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 I see that as an opportunity to be who I really am. And I tell people Which is... th that I'm just a laborer. And the people look at me and go, oh, oh that's okay. That's okay. You know, laborers are okay. They, you know, we all need workers. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that answer because I am just a laborer. But... If you peel back the layers, the laborer moniker has allowed me to do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And so I think those adventures and different types of work became something of interest to a lot of people. So you lived off the land in Alaska? For real? When you Google you, so much stuff pops up. Well, um, as we speak, we have two shows on Discovery Network, mm -hmm. okay? But, and I did do 36 episodes in that Geo. And people said, how did you get on TV? And I owe it all to Mount McKinley or Denali because I was guiding expeditions on Denali or Mount McKinley, 20,320 feet. Mm -hmm. And that would, it, I think that started back in the 80s. Then came uh, a few films. One was the PBS uh, adventure film. Wait, so how did you get in touch with these people? Did you like guide people who saw you or how did the people who were making these things? Good question. Mind you. So everyone, I mean, don't you have a connection with uh, film festival, uh -huh. Mountain Film? Yes. Okay, so before Mountain Film came into existence, I think, Mm -hmm. People were, you know, at the beginning of all of that, people were like, man, mountains are big and they're, we can make films and yeah. we can have causes. And so one of those films, one of those causes was the Breast Cancer mm -hmm. uh, Society um, did a fairly large project on McKinley, Denali, mm -hmm. and I ended up guiding uh, some of those girls on that expedition. The goal was to get to the top, 20,320 feet. The point was a pretty big uh, project, a film project. Did the people, the people who you were, you were recording with, the, uh, the people who you were guiding, the girls, did they have experience? Like... Well, that's... A, <laughs> so... So but, how was that? Well, it was the Breast Cancer uh, Society, and I actually met the founder of it. I believe her name was 
um, well, it would be terrible if I said it wrong. Say it this way. You edit this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just a I'm just an average Alaskan guy working away that loves mountains. So, um, self-employed, I could drop whatever I was doing and climb a mountain for a month. Mm -hmm. And most people are normal. Most people have a real job, a real life. Ah, oh, fuck real jobs. And they, you know, they 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 can't drop. Yeah. whatever they want to do and go climb a mountain for a month mm -hmm. so I mean back in those days Denali was at least a month Everest was three months wow a month yeah 21 days to climb it so there's a little bit yeah. of you know there's you gotta mm -hmm. you have to prepare for the expedition pack all the food you think about that let's say I guided 10 people on the mountain yeah okay that's three meals a day for 21 days yeah. that's 600 packages breakfast lunch dinner yeah all pre-packaged all calculated so that I could feed these guys 5,000 calories a day. You know, I did one trip like that where I lived in a kayak for two weeks in the Gulf of Nicoya in Costa Rica, and you had to pack all your own food and do all of that. There and you it go. Was, Same uh, thing. It was intense. Yeah, you're going to go from point A to point B, and you're going to be self-sustaining. So yeah. whether you're on that kayak on the ocean or starting at the bottom of a big mountain, trying to get to the top, and, you know, cold weather, avalanches, mm -hmm. frostbite, High altitude sickness, I mean, there's a lot of challenges if you try to do it too fast. Thus, the 21-day window of time to try to assault that mountain. It's interesting that that mountain often has a far less than 50% success ratio. So, McKinley does? Yep. Yeah. So, a thousand people a year try to climb it mm -hmm. to the top, and sometimes three or four hundred are the only ones that make the summit. Wow. It's a tough mountain. I know one person who's done it. Who? And, shoot, well, can I, to be honest, I don't remember his, <laughs> we matched on a dating website and we talked about it, but I have never. First of all, stop right there. I know, stop, I can't. Why in, but I do know like Why people. on God's green earth would you be on a dating site? I hate it, I don't know, I'm really bad at it. I'm like the worst, I like forget about it. People like, I don't even know, whatever. Well, I mean, anyway. what, what, what the first thing that comes to mind is when the people meet you in person, they fall down on the floor <laughs> in disbelief that you could be this beautiful. Oh and, God, and they, No, I'm serious, and they're, like, and they're like, it's too good to be true. They're looking around for a camera, they're being punked. Oh God, right? stop. I just got on dating websites like three months ago, actually. So it's been a, ugh, whatever, it's been a disaster. But um, there, uh, anyway. Let's talk about that for a while. Okay, don't even. <laughs> I'm kidding. But would you ever do, okay, but anyway, well, one of the guys on there said he's attempted it a couple times, but he did, he summited once. So. And there you go. He tried it a couple times and he made it, you know. How many times have you, how many times did it take you to summit McKinley? Honestly, I didn't make it the first time. I got to 17,200 feet, and then the second time I went, I made it, I made it to yeah. the summit. In fact, the second time I climbed it, I guided a group, wow. and we made it. And, and I took, and that was 1986, I think, 88. Were you guiding with Vern then? No, but I met Vern, interesting question. I met Vern Tejas on that climb in 1988. I met Vern Tejas, and I'm not sure he remembers meeting me. And we summited. And I guarantee I, he does. And I was, I was playing, I was packing a guitar on my back. Yeah. And, and with no agenda, I remember laying in bed at midnight, of course it's broad daylight on, around June 21st, thinking, hey, maybe I should take that to the summit. But I was already at 14,000 feet and it never entered my mind to take it to the top. Anyway, I did. And then I started to... Uh, just pack that guitar with me on subsequent climbs over the next 20 years. That wow. guitar was on my back. And then Vern was a was a mountaineer fiddle guy and harmonica guy. And I heard that harmonica playing one in, one time in a camp. And I was like, yeah, hey, this guy's playing music. And then I saw this man, bearded, shaved head, uh, gregarious, uh, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, even though he's not that big in real life. A guy and I, we just met, hit it off, and it seemed like the next day, we were guiding mountains together. He asked me to be his, you know, buddy. Yeah. So we had some amazing, amazing adventures. We did do a winter scent of Mount Sanford Where's once, that? and it's a mountain out here in the Wrangles, mm -hmm. St. Elias. And uh, we did a winter scent. We did it in February, 
we, we hitchhiked from here to the mountain. We skied like, I don't know, 20 miles into the mountain. And the short version, it was death-defying. And he didn't just save my life once, he saved my life twice on wow. one climb. So yeah, I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Vernon Tejas. That's wow. a fact. Like full on, 12 alarm, dead. I fell in a crevasse, a yeah. massive crevasse. And um, yeah, you know, that's he, something to fuck with. He was integral in getting me out. But yeah, so Vern is an amazing guy. He's still climbing. I would consider him one of the most prolific mountaineers on planet Earth right now. Hmm. Yeah, he's got a book called 70 Summits. And what that means when translated is take the seven summits mm -hmm. and he's guided all of them or summited rather all of them at least 10 times each. That means 10 Everests, 10 uh, Vincent in Antarctica, 10 Denali, and you know, on and on and on, times the seven summits. But it's much more than that because he has a world record on Denali of almost 60 summits. Wow. So if you think of you think of that, um, his connection, his visceral, uh, just how mountains are such a part of who he is. It's he's and still climbing. Yeah. It's remarkable. Crazy. I know. I like want to Google him. Do you mind if I ask you about? Um, did you ever think you would be on TV? And can I ask you about your family as well because they're a big part of your your no. television. Well. Um, Um, I, that's a, that is an interesting question because I'm not surprised because of many people starting as early as in the seventies, people had approached me about being involved with TV and I just dismissed it. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I can remember the first time it was in about in Haines in about 1975. And then, um, in the eighties on Denali meeting film producers. And in the 90s, um, being on camera in films, I even worked, I even worked not very long ago in a movie with Drew Barrymore. Oh, how's she? She's amazing. Well, you're such a character, you know, like none of this is surprising. So Vern is a climber. You are many, many, many things. Well, Vern's many, many things too. Mm -hmm. Vern is many, many things. Um, again, if I were to meet somebody that didn't know me, I would just say I'm a laborer and I would turn the conversation around on them. Like I've done with you since I've met you. What do you do? Who are you? And because that's, I, I, I want to believe that everyone's story is better than mine. Well, well, I mean, that's, that's debatable and you know, <laughs> jury's out on that. Um, so you have four kids. I do have four kids. So all four kids were born in Alaska. No, uh, excuse me, that's not true. We were on a homestead in the 70s, and um, Molly's water broke, and we, there was no doctor. And we were like, well. Did you deliver the baby, get out of town? Um, no, and it's a good thing that we uh, ended up finding somebody not even in our town, but uh, 20 miles away by water, no road system, in Skagway. Somebody phoned this guy and said, you got a plane, these kids are having a baby and they don't know what to do and it doesn't look good. And it was kind of interesting. So that guy flew his plane over to, I don't even know, I've wanted to find this guy and I never have all these years, 40 years ago. And if you're out there, sir, um, <laughs> contact me because I'd just like to thank you. Um, at the, at the, in the moment of that day, it was August 15th, uh, 1975. I believe, but in the moment of that day, maybe 76, but in the moment of that day, I was preoccupied, sorry. So uh, the guy flies from Skagway, somebody called him on the phone, total stranger. I believe he owned the Skagway Inn, a hotel over there, very quaint, cool place that I was aware, familiar with. He flew to Haines, landed on a dirt strip, stuffed Molly in the back, I believe it was a 172 Cessna, and then... Um, I jumped in next to him and we took off, headed. He, before he took off, he asked us, do you have more friends in Whitehorse or Juneau? And we had friends in each respective city and I said, Whitehorse. So he took off and he flew over the famous White Pass of the Chilkoot Trail days, Gold Rush, Klondike. And uh, it was a nice, as I recall, I haven't thought about this for a long time, but it was a, I mean, I was, I didn't know what we were doing, right? It was crazy. And my wife's in the back seat. We just newly married. 
and she's in the back seat and I'm like, we're having a baby, I guess, which could have been, you know, could have happened in that plane, frankly. But um, the water, you know, had broken hours and hours before that plane ride was arranged. Ultimately, we landed about eight o'clock at night, I think. Might have been 6, 37, 38 o'clock, of course, sunny, August, mm -hmm. you know, lots of daylight. The plane lands in Whitehorse, and then, um, like, it wasn't like an hour hour later, Melanie was born. So our first child is Canadian. Hey. Hey. <laughs> How do you spell Canada? C. A. N. A. D. A. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that started the adventures. And we had uh, two kids in Sitka and uh, one in maybe, was there one in Anchorage? I can't remember. The point didn't take long. Those four kids went over the Chilkoot Pass when they were two. What is that? That's that famous gold rush. Chilkoot Pass, Klondike, the gold rush. Nope. Okay. Well, um, Jack London wrote a lot about it. Okay. Um, it was 1898 after the, after the California gold rush. There was, or maybe in that era anyway, there was the gold rush in Alaska and the Yukon and the Klondike. And it's a famous trail. It's all a national park now. Mm -hmm. I believe you have, you know, it's, you have to sign up, register, et cetera. The point is very famous. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's got Appalachian. It's got, you know, the, the Pacific Crest Trail. It's got all of, you know, the, the, um, no, we'll stop there. What was I going to say? Oh, so anyway, so these kids, you know, started out having a very adventuresome life of hiking and skiing and, doing things that I think every Alaskan kid probably did back then. And when they were the ages two, four, six, and eight, we all went over the Chilkoot Pass. And that was, you know, just something that was normal to us. Yeah. Well, there was a huge storm and the Rangers, Canadian Mounties got involved when, when they finally found us in this blizzard. We were fine, but people thought we'd all died. Um, cut to, those same kids uh, have all climbed McKinley. So we're the only husband and wife and all four kids that have climbed Denali as well. Hey! So yeah, it's, it's none of it said in boast, but you're sitting here asking me questions about, yeah. you know, the family and how did I get on TV? Um, and am I surprised? Or did I ever think it would happen? And I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because I've had a lot of people approach me, and I, I always dismissed it. But National Geographic approached me um, five, six, seven years ago, eight, and offered me an adventure of a lifetime, and I took it. The guy, yeah. did, the guy actually knocked on my door. That's super cool. I um, come from a, we, I'm the middle of five kids, and my family's super close and we do a lot together, and I can't imagine being on television with them. I think it's so great, like family first, always, you know? Well, cut to, on that. so the first, I mean, I'd worked on some films, a lot of, well, probably worked on half a dozen films, adventure films in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Some of those films, I was a assistant cameraman, some I was a sound man, mm -hmm. some I ended up on camera, and in the 90s, in the advent of the uh, internet, somebody saw photos of me playing guitar on top of Mount McKinley, and next thing you know, I'm getting, uh, being solicited for different shows. I think it's probably like a lot of people like me meet you once and they're like, I just gotta know more about this guy, Good. Um, yeah, so, but the TV thing has been a, uh, you know, it's got, there's, I've been very fortunate. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. So you do... Um... I'm the executive producer. Oh, great. I didn't... I didn't... I didn't I'm learning so much. No, um, but I'm... So I, 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 I learned the hard way. It's the best way to learn. Oh, All God. smart people learn the hard way. <laughs> well, I'm not ascribing to being smart, but I will tell you this. I've, I, I saw uh, the worst of this business, the entertainment business. I've seen the worst of it as a musician. Yeah. As a musician and as a... Uh, as a host of now three shows uh, on uh, television, but I I survived it, and now I'm at a point where I'm the executive producer, and the working relationship that I have with Discovery is something that I appreciate. Yeah. 
because you know I I'm big on authenticity mm -hmm. and um, Homestead Rescue that and Rainy Ranch both pretty much right themselves the that write themselves from sunrise to sunset well tell me more about that so how do you teach people how to live off the grid homestead rescue is you know i and i don't even use the word teach mm -hmm. but i definitely do a lot of hard physical labor work mm -hmm. building and trying to help someone that's already there might need a hand up not a hand not a big fan of a hand out but i'm a big fan of lending them a hand up that said, yeah. you know, nobody gets it right. And even though Discovery would like to say I'm the, you know, smartest homesteader in the world, I will never say that. <laughs> and I tell people, whether that gets edited or not, I don't care. I tell them the truth. Yeah. No one's made more mistakes in homesteading than, than, you. than me. Well, that's what makes you the best because well, you learn, you got to learn the hard way. I'm never going to agree to that because I know it's not true, but that I'm the best or even rate up there very high. But I am uh, a person that is happy to share uh, the shortcuts to anyone else. I'm not gonna hold that information close to my chest because I do really enjoy helping other people. Do you think that there's a common thread between people who want to homestead and live off the grid and outside of the common world as you do yourself? We are living in a ever-changing world. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a um, groundswell of people, and it's global. This is, this is something that might be hard for people to imagine, but it's true. The facts are uh, in, they've been checked, and it's literally hundreds of millions of people are not happy with living in cities or suburbia. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Cul-de-sacs and subdivisions. So I got to tell you, though, before I was a radio girl and lived in Cincinnati, um, I lived in Telluride, right? And then before Telluride, I lived on an island in North Carolina. And I agree with you on that. I feel... I um, like to live away from the majority of it all as well. You know, I think like, did you ever find yourself when you were younger going through phases of self-discovery, did you think that you would be living the way you are now? Well, I quit school. <clears throat> I quit school at the age of 16 and left home. Never looked back. Really? Yeah. So. Can I ask you what made you want to leave? Adventure. Really? Are you still close with your birth family and like your siblings or whatnot? Do you have any? I am. I am, and my parents live right here in Wasilla. They're, really? They're, and your parents, are, your, your parents are still with us and everything? My parents are right here. Uh, he's 90s-ish, and I think my mom's, you know, she wouldn't be happy if I told her age right now, but it might be the same birthday as Elvis Presley. Really? It's like August 23rd? No, well, same, right? same age as, as oh, Elvis. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. You know Elvis's birthday? Is that it? August 23rd? I don't know. I said something. No, I do know because my, uh, my grandmother died on Elvis's birthday, actually. Oh, my yeah. dad's mom did, and I think it's, it's sometime just, in August. You're, right? you're a radio personality, right? Yeah. Guess, guess what I just read today? What? It's Merle Haggard Day, and guess what? What? He died on the same day he was born. No way! <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You, you know what's crazy? Um, we were talking about music earlier, and I was born on July 13th, 1985, during the Live Aid concert. July 28th. Oh, so you're a Cancer or a Leo or is I that? Know. I know, whatever. Um, and so this, I just, I'm just trying. <laughs> the story that my parents tell is they were in the hospital, and the Live Aid concert was playing, and I was born while the Who was playing. And you know how the, the whole thing with with what everybody says about middle children is that they're always the, the most obnoxious because they've been looking for attention. I shit you not, as the story goes, all the doctors and nurses and my dad were watching The Who perform on TV and my mom was like, hey, the baby's coming. The baby's coming, you guys, you guys. And they're like, yeah, okay. I'm like, see, from the fucking... Beginning. As my dad says, coming out the shoot, as coming out the shoot. Y'all been ignoring me. I can talk louder. No one will listen. Now they finally, whatever. Um, but so that's how, that's how it goes. And so this is, you were just talking about Merle, ha Merle, Merle Haggard. Um, and 
So then that's July 13th, Live Aid. And then the band Queen also played mm. during that during that concert. Are you are you a music guy at all? Oh, I love them, yeah. Okay, so it turns out the lead singer- well, I do some Who songs when I play. Really? It's on my set list. Mama got a squeeze box that sits on his chest And the whole thing, but nobody get no rest We're playing all night And the music's all right Mama got a squeeze box Daddy never did that night Next, want some Queen? Please, what's the lead singer of Queen's name? It's escaped me right now um, oh. Uh, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Jacob was born on the day that Freddie Mercury died, unfortunately. And then Freddie Mercury's birthday is something else significant, whatever. So. Mm, I didn't know. I gotta say that. Anyway. Um, by the way, that was amazing. I was worried you were gonna break the glass there oh, for uh, a second. When, when's the last time I broke a glass? Yeah, yeah you tell me. Didn't I break one? <laughs> I just broke one. Some was, it was wasn't it with the you best? guys? I don't think so. I just broke one with somebody. Was it in the I pounded on the table and everything broke. Wasn't it with you guys? I don't think so. No, you we sure? sat, we sat your car the whole time. No, I've. You're I've, gonna get rid of us. I just, not that I'm proud of it. <laughs> no, but I just did this, which I do a lot, and glass broke. Oh, it was in the restaurant in uh, West Virginia. Ah. I'm thinking ten. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, when I was, I bartended for a long time. And I've always had like 10 jobs and bartending is like consistent money all the time, whatever. And one job I had in college, I broke so many glasses that my, while I was working, one day I broke 17 glasses in one day that my what? boss. Uh, intentionally? No, I just like get so distracted and you know, and um, I gave him a, like a, a couple boxes of glasses yeah, let me for scoot, Christmas. Let me scoot these glasses away. <laughs> I know. Let me scoot everything away. I can't even. Anyway, break a lot as well. Um, where were we? So tell me something else. Where are you now? All right, so, so your family, hold on. I want to get back to this. So your parents live here, and now you're in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And we can edit this out, but you took me and my friends to your current home that you're living in. You don't have to edit it out. Okay, with your beautiful wife, Molly, and we FaceTime my mom. Oh, yeah. At the same time, my mom's crying. Mm. You live in a beautiful home. Well, so here, here's... But you have to take, what is the snowcat called? A, oh. a mini snowcat? We had to take... Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a it's machine. an all-wheel... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a track vehicle with uh, snow tracks. Yeah, to get there. Yeah. That's how you... You can walk. There's a ways. It's you, a third of a mile. It's crazy. So it's like almost a mile to just go to the parking lot and back. That's crazy. It's good though. Yeah. Um, so we burnt to the ground. This is this homestead is fairly new. Yeah. Within the last five years. It's the toughest homestead that I've ever seen in my life. And um, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, for whatever reason, I welcome, you know, any challenge that's like seriously a challenge. Anyway, that piece of property has been challenging, seems like, every single day. So we built uh, our the first home on that property ac across the river. Everything was taken across that river on a little cable tram and a little cable car, mm -hmm. like a little trolley going back and forth. And over the course of, like, three years to finish it, everything, everything, wow. before, the metal, the foundation, the walls, everything, the furniture dishes, everything to build an entire house and outfit it went across that little tram with you in the tram with the supplies, okay. pulling the pulling yourself and, you know, maybe two, maybe up to 300 pounds of supplies. Then once you got it across the river, raging river, trust me, you had to get those materials about 700 feet up toward the, up the mountain. Mm. So at first it, I literally would just put a stack of two by sixes over my shoulder and start walking at the beginning. The point, it was tough, it was amazing, it was really cool, and it was very rewarding to finish that home and move in. And then it burnt down a couple months ago. Damn. I know, I don't, I don't wanna cry because I don't, I've already cried about it. But when I, when I talk to you right now, it's like, you know, emotional, but I, I have no right to be emotional right now because you saw the cabin. Yeah. 
It's beautiful. Nothing to do, yeah. And who would feel sorry for anyone living there? Oh, dude, at the same time, though, you gotta give yourself a fucking break and just <laughs> bitch and get it out and talk about how much it sucks when your life burns down. Are you kidding me? Well, come it, on. You gotta honor your emotions in a way. Well, I've already cried about it numerous times. And, uh, and I asked myself, what are you, what's going on? Where are those tears coming from? And I think it's how hard that cabin was to build and how um, unique it was. It had all the, it had all the one-of-a-kind builds. It just had crazy uh, uh, water fixtures and bathtubs and kitchen and stone and logs and, and burls and log staircases. It was just amazing. It was small, but it had every trick I could, up my sleeve was you know applied to that thing. And then it burnt. In the same breath, what had happened what had started happening in a couple of years, about the time we moved in that cabin, this 40 acre piece of land is virgin, meaning never logged, never lived, no four wheelers, no snow machines, no trails, no campfires from any other humans, strictly Alaskan animals live there. Moose, bears, coyotes, wolves, wolverine, porcupines, ermine, snowshoe hare, uh, and mice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't discount them. They're part of the food chain. It's very true. Um, without them, none of the other stuff lives. That's true. They say. But anyway, uh, the point, it was wild. And it had amazing spruce trees. Never been logged. But they'd all been killed by the beetle kill blight. And um, here we are living in our little cabin. We don't need another building. But... When all the trees died, and after two years in the location of that cabin, keep in mind, you got the materials across the river, then you pack them up to the base of the mountain, but you're still in this canyon. It's not where you really want to live. This property is split with a huge cliff, 250-foot cliff, cuts right through the property, and you're never going to get on top. But that's where all the sunshine is, that's where the views are, and that's the better half of the 40 acres, that upper 20. So miraculously, I walked an excavator across the river, another story, and I started to scratch literally one inch at a time up a cliff, up the side of a cliff, knowing I'd never make it. And I did make it. it took me four days by myself, no one was there. I scratched a road to the top of that cliff, and then it was a game changer. So I'm like, telling myself we're moving up here we're starting all over one more time i don't, can't tell you how many times i've done that in alaska mm -hmm. and how many do i have left right yeah. you know but i'm like it's got to happen look at the sunshine look at the view you can see the ocean from there yeah you've seen it beautiful breathtaking surrounded by mountains you can see three three mountain ranges from the living room um it means passive solar uh heat through the windows Less firewood, less generator. It means your solar panels are gonna create electricity. I mean, it's a growing season, everything. It's, there's, it's a win, 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 but it would mean that we'd have to start over from scratch, from zero. And at the same time, the entire 40 acres of beautiful, huge, tall, straight spruce trees are dying. So, I thought to myself, I cannot watch the loving trees, by the way. I love trees. And I'm thinking, I just can't let them die. It takes a few years, and then they blow over, and then they rot. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay. I never thought I'd get a road up here. I did. I never would have. I made a pact with my oldest son. We're never going to cut one live tree off this property. And... Now I have to cut every tree to protect life and property from a forest fire, from all the dead trees. Mm -hmm. And then what? What do you do with them? So I logically, the stars aligned without any uh, coaxing from me. I've got a road to the top of the better half of a 40-acre parcel of land. It's where we should be. And I've got 
you know, hundreds of beautiful trees that would make a beautiful log home. So I just looked at Molly and I said, you want to start over up here? You pick out the spot and I'll build you a beautiful log home. You design it. You make dreams come true. I said, I said, darling, you, you just draw it on a napkin. Whatever you draw, I will build. And she did. And I built it. And I, and I've said I too much in the last 10 seconds because it was, you know, the family got together and helped that cabin come to, uh, fruition or rather completion and we but we are you know we have a job we help other people right so we had a timeline we barely got the metal on and we had to leave and go help other homesteaders and film that to make episodes of homestead rescue for this for the discovery network so it was unfinished so we're filming all summer we get back it's winter time and we want to resume working on that cabin but there's no rush we have a cabin down in the canyon Totally fine. It's our home. It burns to the ground. And then we're homeless. And one... (laughs) In one... In one hour... Or so, it seems... It was a long hour. We uh, we burned to the ground. It was about five degrees above zero, so we're standing out there freezing. We burned to the ground, and um, we have all of our animals. So there's nothing we could do. We actually fought the fire. We're off grid, of course, so no fire truck's going to make it. Somebody had seen the smoke, and somebody had... The fire trucks were down on the pavement, but it was a thousand feet away across a river, no access. And they walked up there and, you know, they could see there was nothing they could do. It was already, you know, burnt down. You know, this this place was two stories high. And um, it had already, you know, all collapsed. It was still burning. And um, I just had to make sense of it, meaning there's nothing I can do now. So we got to get our animals out of here because we're not living here next to them and protecting them and feed and watering them. So we had to, you know, we had milk goats and ducks and chickens and we had to catch them all right next to the, the house that's burning down, you know. Uh, and, and by nightfall of that very day, and this is November, I believe it was November, December. And by nightfall, we were just two miles away in Misty, my daughter's house, Misty, my daughter on the show, and I'd helped Misty build a beautiful solid stone house about two miles away. And Misty's like, move in that house, which was vacant. And Misty was in Kauai. So by nightfall, we were in a nice, beautiful stone home. And Melanie had driven from Girdwood and friends came and we had, there was not one thing that we needed. There was food, there was shelter, there was a hot shower. There was, um, we, did, we didn't lack for anything. As I think about it talking to you. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is just material things. It is just material things. and. I will say this, that there is a whole shock thing that goes with this. It's just shock, whatever the right word is, I don't know what it is, but that's the word I'm using with you. It's like a shock or a thing that umbrella, dark cloud, or, you know, that's over you. And Do you I, think that hour that your house built down, you became a different person in that hour? Like it changed you in a way that there was no going back? Nothing. Um, well, you know, when, when we built that beautiful, quaint home in the canyon, our home, everything that we took to that home, you know, is what we wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. 
because we, this was a small, quaint cabin. So we didn't have it cluttered like maybe you would on grid, big house, you know. But whatever went into that cabin was deliberate. It was the cream of the cream of everything we owned. Antique, a lifetime of Alaskan antiques and 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 uh, uh, and gifts and treasures, you know, as insignificant as I think I am on this planet, it was our stuff. So yeah. that it's it is it is hard. It's you know I think surreal is overused, but there is an a feeling of desperation when this all happens and you're trying to wrestle with you know how we were not insured so you know that didn't even enter my mind till a couple days later and even when it did i'm not about money but it was you know it was a three hundred thousand dollar day yeah so it is a lifetime of possessions yeah whatever that's worth right so i i uh I don't think you, I don't think you can put value on your family's belongings or the life that you've built. There's no dollar amount that goes to that, you know. You're, you're very wise, young lady, and I will tell you this, I did go back in a I did go back in a I did go back in, in a burning building. I did go back in a burning building to get the, uh, <laughs> the photo albums. <laughs> and uh, I remember crawling, crawling under the smoke and it was raging in there, but I got them. I don't know what, it's probably a, a, a stack of, you know, six or eight photo albums, but I got them, so. <laughs> maybe I didn't lose, maybe we didn't lose everything we owned. Maybe I, maybe I should quit saying that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So what I do, what I do like to say when I, the few times I've ever talked about this, I'm not sure I've talked about this with anybody, but I don't miss any of that stuff. It was the, it was, these tears right now, I think are just coming from, again, how unique and special that 40 acres is and the one building that was on it, the first building, and what that building meant for the future, posterity, and all the other family members that were gonna come. That was the monument. Look, this this is doable. It's tough over here. It's tough to build across the river, guys, but you can do it. We did it, your mom and dad did it. Kids helped, right? But that first cabin, that first cabin, that was, you know, I'll, I'll unhesitatingly say it was. You know, it was the shit. It was, and you know, it definitely had my stamp on it as in, I, you know, other people were there, but I, I could look at you in the eye and say, I built that. With my, and no, very few people are going to go, really? I mean, I built that thing. And I packed lumber across a river. I packed it up a thousand feet and uh, worked on it when I could and moved in. It was a big day. Burned down was also a big day. I will tell you this. The next morning, it's five, it's like zero. Ah, Jesus. It, it snowed. Um, it snowed about eight inches. So I go up to the 40 acres. There's no animals, not, everything's gone. We've, we've hauled everything away to another farm. And it sounds corny, but I, I, I couldn't look. I, I, the, the trail that I cut that goes up the top of the mountain where there's an unfinished log home. You know, we're not totally without some hope. We've got a partially finished log home on top of this cliff. So the road to that cabin on the cliff goes right by, adjacent, right by the place that just burnt down. And I thought, well, that's nice. That's helpful. 
you know, it's no six or eight inches. So what was a black, void, smoking, smoldering uh, home and everything we owned of ours, it had a white blanket of snow and only a few things of char were sticking up here and there. And I thought, that's, that's kind of nice. <laughs> Because you have to, I had to go right by it. Yeah. I had to go right by it. But I, could, I found myself... You didn't have to look at it. So I hadn't been up. I hadn't been up on top of the cliff. I started to go up the cliff, and it's inaccessible because a glacier popped out, you know, on the road system. So I um, <laughs> spent all day with, I think, my two boys trying to chip the ice out of the way, this glacier. Well, the days are short in Alaska in November, December. It got dark by about the time we I'm just trying to get to the cabin to rebuild on day one the next morning I was there at daylight I'm going to rebuild mm -hmm. and then there's a glacier on the road and so we can't even get to the cabin by the time we chip the ice out of the way to make the road this we call this road the cliffs of insanity the road that, that goes up to your current home yeah, to, yeah the only home left now yeah. the one up there it's called the Cliffs of Insanity on the Discovery Channel. Oh, okay. I can speak truth to that. It is very scary. <laughs> You've been on. Yeah. Okay, so there's glaciers that you may not... Did you see those glaciers on the side that look like we cut? Yeah. So... Yeah, you can with a chainsaw, right? Yeah, it's so the, the ice is so thick, it's it's almost four feet tall, five feet tall. Mm -hmm. So now we just cut it with a chainsaw. First we were chipping it, but now it builds up and I'll just cut it with a chainsaw, right? To make it passable. So the whole first day... I'm trying to tell myself I'm coming back. You know, I'm we're, you know, not going to cry, whine or look back. I'm just going to what can I do? You know, forge, forge ahead. And I can't even get to the cabin to work on it. So nightfall comes right when we get to we get through the ice, we get to the top of that cliff. You've been there, right? Mm -hmm. Then the road turns right and you and you drive along the edge of the top. It's mm -hmm. flat. So I, um, we get up there, and I was with Matt. Everybody else left, and we're, we were walking, just trying to get a passable for snow machines and, mm -hmm. and the track rig. And so we're walking on the flat, and I honestly, I never told Matt this, and I was like, okay, that's good enough for one day. That's good enough. And Matt's like, no, let's get to the cabin and get the, you know, let's get to the cabin. And I wasn't gonna say no, so I said, okay. So we start walking to the cabin, and no, that's not true. So once we got the road passable, we jumped on the snow machines, and we go up. And now we're headed to the cabin, boom. Big windstorm knocked a tree this big around, big tree, two feet thick, across the trail. So I'm thinking all day long chipping ice, trying to just get to the cabin to bring some, I don't know, uh, ray of hope. I'm working, I'm rebuild, focus on this, finishing the log home on the hill, having given Mar Molly a place to live, you know, and, and never looking back and it'll all be good. I can't even get to the place. Cut the ice out of the way, get to the top, head down the straight stretch to the cabin, and there's a tree in the way. And that's when I was like, oh my God, come on. I can't, even, me. I can't even get to the you cabin. And, the, the, and it was, the sun went down. I can see it in the distance because you've seen the view up there. You can see yeah. the ocean. The sun goes down, and I'm like, and Matt said, no, let's go up to the cabin, walk. We'll walk to the cabin, get chainsaw, come back and cut the log out. And I'm like, I didn't want to. And I was like, okay. We walked, and snow's deep, three feet deep. No trail had been put in because of the glacier. So we get to the cabin, grab some saws. I come back, I cut the thing out. We get to the, we get to the cabin. And so we, bur we burned down uh, one day. I spent the entire day from sunrise to sunset, past sunset, into the dark, just trying to get access to the cabin to start building on it, the one on the cliff that was partially erected. And I was like, then it was like a, it was like, you know, wow, no one's gonna hand this one to me. Yeah. And so the next day there was access and we started working. And then uh, Misty 
was in Kauai. And I swear that Misty and Micaiah. Nothing comes easy, huh? Nothing comes easy. And I swear Misty and Micaiah, her husband, uh, before that house stopped smoking, somehow had gotten on a flight from Kauai and we're right here in Alaska. And we went to work immediately that next, that, that third, that the next day after I, made, I, I accessed the cabin. And we started working. And it was, when I do the math, it, sh it's, I, it doesn't make sense that we got this much work done in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. But as a family unit and some very qualified friends, um, you saw the, the end product. I mean, it's gorgeous. And it took you how long? Oh my God. From start to finish, I... It's almost unbelievable that you did it so quickly. You know? It is. It's absolutely, it's insane. But it's, again, it's it's just a small, quaint log cabin from trees that were Oh, done. it's beautiful. You don't need any more. Yeah. It even has the new house smell to it. I mean, it smells, it? it smells brand new. Oh, nice. And it's gorgeous. And you have the beautiful pianos in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's absolutely we, we have, gorgeous. So, um, if people watch the show, they're going to see uh, a very unique way that that piano, you know, so for to get a grand piano in that cabin meant that it had to get across a raging river. Mm -hmm. There's no access. It had to get up the cliffs of insanity and make its way to that cabin. So, you know, I'm supposed to be offering you the handkerchief. <laughs> so, excuse me. So, um, yes, I haven't cried about this uh, for a while. But... I tell people that, you know, a lot of people, millions of people watch the show. And they, this has all been captured on film. And it was a very, and that might be the place to put the word, surreal moment, when I realized that we have all these people all over the world that are tracking and, and take an interest in watching us and our life in Alaska. And so something's happening here that they have to see. So I actually had to, I don't even, I, I mean, I had to do it as an executive producer of a show. I had to grab my phone and document this here and there. How was that? 30 seconds here, 10 seconds there. Well, it took me a long time to figure, to, it was, uh, I never looked at the footage. I would say until I, obviously Discovery was, had to be informed because we're, we're filming on the, on the property. We're in a, uh, schedule. They, they had ordered, uh, Discovery had ordered 12 episodes from that 40-acre homestead. Mm -hmm. We'd only filmed eight. So there was four more to film. Mm -hmm. And so Discovery was notified immediately, you know, <laughs> our home burned down. And they said, what, anything we can do? And I said, no. And I said, but I'm going back to work, so if you want to capture it, grab a camera. And so they sent a skeleton crew up like immediately, and everything's been captured. The fire has was captured on camera, and everything through to completion was captured. And we will share it happily with um, all of the people that have taken a, an interest in our, you know, insignificant Alaskan lifestyle. Mind blown here, Marty. Hmm? Been through the ringer, man. I, I don't I don't see it I don't see it like that. You've That's been, one thing. You've been there though, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, it is amazing. It'll stop you in your tracks. It's nothing like. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. So yeah. I all I've ever, what that forty acres really means. It's not about television. It's not about um, anything other than first and foremost. I just want to live like an Alaskan should live. What's one thing about you, Marty, that people don't know? <sighs> I can say that you're way more tender than people realize. Man, you couldn't be any further off base. <laughs> um, you got a lot of heart in those eyes, Marty Rainey. I don't know about that. I, th I want to believe everybody does. Not everybody. But, um, yeah, I, I w what I'd like people to, to know is if they're, 
if they think they see authenticity with the show Homestead Rescue, they can rest assured that it is. I mean, I never see these people before. I don't text them. I don't set anything up. Mm. I've never met them before until I walk down their driveway. I don't even know their names. Oh, okay, good. Discovery sometimes sends me, you know, uh, an, uh, an email. Their names are, I, ha I have to ask their names every episode. Who is this? Because I, we're, we're at a point now where- Marty, you should be, you gotta be, you gotta do your homework. No. <laughs> when you show up, come on. No, because I, <laughs> I like to keep it authentic. No, I know. And, and over the 50 or 60 episodes that we've done, there's been at least one or two people that have got a hold of me. Hey, we got, we got accepted for your show. And I'll, I'll, I'll text them back and say, don't ever contact me or talk to me until I walk down your driveway and we're doing it. Eye -to -eye. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm so, they text back, I'm so sorry. Ah! But that's, that's what authenticity means to me. It's got to be real because that's going to be the best story that I can tell. The best story that I can tell is the truth and we have one more question before we go my brother Jake you know I'm here with him in Alaska and he's graduating college um, like next month right as he goes off into the real into the world and becomes a grown man do you have any advice for him the turtle goes nowhere unless he sticks his neck out Okay. Don't be afraid to take risks and eliminate the word impossible mm, from, from your vocabulary. Okay, so then by this point, I mean, I was just in such Alaskan bliss. This was the last thing we did before we went out to dinner and then got on the red eye at Anchorage. We still had a two-hour drive ahead of us. And so we said goodbye, but we wanted to end it on a special note saying thank you to everyone we had met this week. So, Miss Jones, um, I want to thank you personally because you've, all, you've made this all happen. You, you and your friends had a very cool trip. You met my close friends in Talkeetnia. You took a flight around Denali. You met the craziest mad scientist genius uh, uh, i.e. Bernie Carl of the uh, Chena Hot Springs and Ice Hotel. And none of that would have happened if it wasn't for you. Not, not, not me. That's the truth. So take a bow yourself that you guys had a remarkable Alaskan <laughs> wild ride of what, five days? Five days. <laughs> Could you do another five? <laughs> Could you make it? Oh my God. Okay. Fuck yes, of course. Of okay, course. so is it W K R Q? Q, yeah. Now I'm just thinking out loud. Is that that's W quirk? Hey. Or cork? <laughs> what is it? Cork? Are you uncorked or are you quirky? What's going on? <laughs> a little bit of both, I'd say. Well, what do people say there? Is it W quirk? W no? W K R Q. That's, that's it. it. Done. No yeah, little. We're Q one hundred two. Is what we go by. Q one hundred two. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. well, you're a little bit quirky, and you seem like you're a bit. Uh, half uncorked. <laughs> so Thanks for the no one. You're working at the, <laughs> at the right radio station. I can say that right now. On that happy note, um, you have to catch a plane. I do. Okay. We gotta go. Thank you. And it's been really fun for me too. Uh, I have a newfound connection with everything that is, is it Cincinnati? Mm -hmm. Yeah. From this second forward, anyone <laughs> that I meet from Cincinnati, Ohio, I'm going to ask him, you know my buddy, Natalie Smith? Jones. Whatever. Natalie Jones. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, God. Okay, and we're still not done. Now, let's do a little fact-checking here. First of all, Elvis' birthday is on January 8th, okay? Not in August. And Live Aid was on July 13th, which is my birthday, and I was born while the Who was playing during Live Aid. Forget my absent-mindedness during that moment. Now, okay, now moving forward, this is pretty cool. So when I was in Marty's home, which we referenced earlier in, um, earlier in the recording, I talked to his wife, Molly, and I asked her a couple questions just randomly when we were there, and this is what she said. Molly, did you think that your life would turn into what it is now? <laughs> no, absolutely not. What did you think it was going to be? You mean as far as being here right now? When you and Marty got together 47 oh. years ago, what did <laughs> yeah. you think? 
Um, it seems no. like you guys have lived many different lives. No. We lived in Washington, and I never thought I'd leave Washington. And now you are the most Alaska as you can get. I love Alaska. I would never leave it. Wow. And so the place where you are now has an incredible story behind it. And how many, pla- how many different places have you lived in Alaska? Oh, wow. Five? Five. And how do you feel about this place that you're in now? This is the best. The best? Of all of them. What do you like the most about it? The remoteness. Away. Being away. What is it like for you when you wake up in the morning? Oh, man. It's like very quiet, very peaceful. Yeah. No one's around. I'm all by myself. Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's pretty amazing. You're right. (laughs) And um, how often do you go to the grocery store? I can go every day. Okay. That's it. That's the cool thing about being where we're at. We have the remoteness, mm-hmm. but town is 20 minutes away. This is cool. And how has it been? It seems like your family is pretty adventurous and crazy. How many times have you thought that one of your family members was going to die? A lot. All of them. Gotcha. They've all climbed Mount McKinley, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, all of my children would be my oldest son. We always worried about him. Really? Yeah, he's a world traveler. By himself. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that's a whole other story. I can't. <laughs> can't wait to come back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, oh, my God. Okay, so when I was asking Molly, that's Marty's wife, Molly, and Mo- Molly Rainey. And so when I was asking her these questions, we were in their home that they had just moved into after their previous home burnt down. It is completely off the grid, and there isn't a driveway to get up to their house. So from the road, it's a third of a mile. But Marty took us up there on a snow machine. Okay, so we had to take this like, snow machine to get up there. It is complete isolation, and we're standing on top of a mountain. And looking at their backyard, you can see the ocean. You can see a volcano and just mountains everywhere. And there isn't another home for, I mean, you can't even see another structure. And it was like you're in a whole other world. And it was truly, truly beautiful. I absolutely loved it. It was like the coolest thing I've ever done uh, or seen. Coolest house I've ever been to, for sure. And really the coolest trip I've ever been on, for sure. And it's all because of their family. Uh, check them out. The Rainies. They're on all those TV shows I just described. And, of course, their story is magnificent. And this is just the beginning. He has way more projects coming out. I think he'll be on the radar forever. And he and I are new besties. So if you have any other questions you want me to ask him, um, honestly, just uh, just DM me. He is totally willing to call into the station and do everything. He's super jazzed about this. So um, hope you guys had a blast and enjoyed. And now coming up next week is starting May, and we are doing Mental Health Month. So I will be releasing many more podcasts all directed towards mental health. And if there's anything you want to say about that or somebody you think should be on um, having to do with mental health or anything else, holler. Let me know. As usual. Love you, babes. Whatever it is you do today, make yourself proud. Like, love, follow, leave a review. If it's a good one, eh, tell your friends about it. And anything else, just make yourself proud and stay fly. Love you and talk to you soon.